So this month, we're going to be finishing up Mark. Um, the passages for today that we're talking about has come from Mark 9 and Mark 10. I know that we're going to be doing, you know, every other week. So like last week, it was Mark 7, and we have this reading plan of 8, and then today is 9. Um, but today, I was when I was reading this past week, it seemed that there were so many connections in Mark 9 and 10 together. And so that's where we find ourselves, in Mark 9 and Mark 10. And our children shared some really difficult passages with us. Um, you know, the seriousness of how Jesus tells us to live differently than this world. And even, I thought about that, the, the, the seriousness of saying, if, if you're struggling in something, it's so severe, Jesus almost gives the analogy, like, pluck it out, throw it away, cut it off. And, and I, hope that, I hope we don't take that literally. Like I hope nobody ends up in the ER because they heard like, well, my, my hand is causing me to do bad stuff and so I'm gonna cut. No, Jesus is saying literally cut your hand off. But he's saying take it so seriously that you're gonna do something about it. So today we're talking about Jesus's call for servant leadership and how he expects us to live completely contrary to the world. In, our, in my first slide for you, I just have it noted that Jesus' way is a 180 from the way of this world. And I quoted Romans 12:20, where the Apostle Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the kingdom of God, power and leadership and service is completely upside down. It, just imagine like if you could see a tree, you know, standing strong and we don't see the roots and, and Jesus' way of doing things is completely turned upside down where you'd see the tree roots, the trunk and the branches and the you know, leaves in the bottom. That's how topsy-turvy it is and it's hard. Some of the teachings in Mark 9 and 10 are really difficult. But the thing that we get to do differently as followers of Christ is we get to live in a completely different way that hopefully makes people stop and wonder and, and ask. You know, I had, um, I had a colleague email me this week, and I think I've, I think I've shared with a lot of you that my job is gonna be changing um, starting in March. I'm gonna be working at a addiction recovery place that's inpatient, and one of my colleagues who's not a Christian um, she texted me and she just said, you just have this light and this joy about you. And, and she knows I'm a Christian, she's not. But I keep thinking, I pray that that joy and that light shows Jesus and not me. Not a you know, happy, bubbly person, but somebody that reflects Christ to her. And I just hope at some point I'll be able to keep talking to her about where that joy and that light comes from because it's, it's from Christ. So Jesus tells us, live so completely different that the world sees it and wonders. And, and also, don't conform. Be transformed by him so that you can live differently. So Jesus' value on our faith is that we, first of all, he says, your faith needs to be like a child. And I just want you to know how countercultural and startling this was when Jesus said this. Um, first of all, children were not valued or seen as important at all. If you want to read an interesting book, there's, um, there's, I can't think of the author, but it's, it's called um, When Children Became People. And this book attributes pretty much the value and worth changing from children being like seen as, as you know, non-valued 
people of society to valued and held in honor. I think right now our children actually have a lot of value and a lot of honor in our culture that has shifted from how it used to be. But I still think there's still sayings of, um, like my dad used to say this to me all the time, children should be seen and not heard, you know, if I was, if I was talking too much. And so I think we still have some of those statements and and things in our culture, but Jesus is saying that you need to embrace the kingdom of God and be like a child was so countercultural. So if you have your Bibles and you turn to Mark chapter 9, we have a lot of like really amazing things that happen. First of all, we have the transfiguration where Jesus is transformed before his disciples on a mountain, and then Elijah and Moses show up and you know, it's, it's this amazing story. I had a hard time picking what we were going to preach on today. I have to tell you that. We have another healing of Jesus healing a child. Um, we have, you know, um, Jesus predicting his death a second time to his disciples, and they're, they're wondering what's going on and what is he talking about. Then Jesus talking about how um, if someone, you know, people that are casting out demons in his name and his disciples are upset about it, and he says, no, if, if they're not for us, they're for us, they're not against us. Um, he talks about if anyone causes um, a child to stumble, that it's better than a millstone be tied. There's important things he's saying. But he comes to Capernaum, a lot of scholars think, um, if you look at 933, that Jesus lived in Capernaum at this time. They think that he was probably in Peter's house. And he overhears this argument that the disciples were having on the road. And he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? And they keep silent because it says here they had argued about who was the greatest. It's kind of funny to think of these grown men having a debate or an argument on the road about who was the best or who was the greatest. I think we still do that as grown-ups in, in other ways. And it says, sitting down in verse 35, Jesus calls the 12. And it's important, too, to note that the commentators note when, when it's written that Jesus sat down, it meant that it, he had something really important to say. When, when a teacher would sit down and gather people around, it was like, take note of this. This is important. And this is where we come to our, our upside-down thinking of the kingdom of God. He takes a child, and some scholars think it was Peter's child, and he placed them among them. And again, this was radical because children were not valued or honored. And he took the child in his arms and he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. But if anyone does not welcome me, does not welcome the one who sent me. You know, Jesus said so much that your faith needs to be as welcoming as this, that you welcome a child in my name and that you place importance on them. Then we go to chapter 10. 10.13. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. They, were, they thought, no, why are, you, why are you putting priority on this? Jesus doesn't have time for your kids. And then when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. It says he was, he was angry. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Then, when he says a truly, truly, I tell you, it means he's putting emphasis. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. You know, this is such an important thing because Jesus is also talking about how our faith needs to be like a faith of a child. Um, I just want to share some remarks from a commentary with you that I just thought were really important. 
It's important that we look at the word hinder. Jesus said, do not hinder them. And hindering was, this commentator said it was an insidious word, meaning forbid. And there's condemnation in that word, do not forbid them. And you think about this, who would forbid a child from coming to Jesus? That's just kind of out of our, out of our mind. I can't even imagine that, and, and none of us. But the word suggests active, conscious, and deliberate obstruction. But the word hinder is not so easy to throw off, for the hindering may be unconscious. It might come simply from neglect or to take positive action. This commentator said it could be in our own homes. We may hinder children from coming. We can do it by making Christ unattractive in how we live out our faith by our own example. That's convicting. We can do it by making evident from our manner that we don't consider Jesus extremely important compared to other interests. You know, we show, it, we show our faith by our priorities and, and what we put our mind and our money and our time to. We can do it simply by neglecting our children's spiritual and religious lives. Boy, that was convicting. This commentator also said that we can hinder children in our community, in our nation, in our world by our lack of interest in the church, the means by which they may come into contact with Christ and by his teaching, or our slippered ease on Sundays, our drives down the fairway. That's convicting, especially when I know what my spouse does for a living. <laughs> but he shows up here on Sundays usually, I'll just say that. Uh, when their substitutes for concern about the spiritual forces of our community block the way of our children, we do what we can to stunt their spiritual growth when our attitudes on social and political questions are shaped by considerations of our own advantage, or when we see all questions darkly through the glass of a narrow political partisanship, even like how we speak of our politics and, and things in our homes can hinder their faith. For in such conditions that we can create things that, that do not bring them closer to Jesus. And then Jesus says, when he talks about the, um, our faith being like the faith of a child, this also caught me, I just have to tell you this. Jesus talks about the marks of children being stressed by dependence and receptivity. And Jesus says, be, between the two, no one can enter. You need to be dependent and receptive, and which, which them is already a member. Note that the qualities of mind frequently cited in this passage, not innocence and humility, they're not indicated here. He, he says that our, our faith needs to be just like a child, where children, are, if you've ever noticed them, they're so receptive, they're so open to try things. Um, they don't seem to be stuck or rigid. Um, they're willing to listen. Jesus talks about how children's faith is dependent, and that gives us a model. He, said, he looks to the child, or the parent looks to the child for all that they receive. You know, children and elderly people are the most vulnerable in our society. They need the most help, and they are the most dependent on ones who are strong. But Jesus says, your mind and spirit need to be looking like you're going to receive the kingdom of God just like a child receives help. And this looks so simple, but it goes very deep and far-reaching. We cannot receive the kingdom of God. We cannot receive Christ if we have pride and self-righteousness in our minds and our hearts. Jesus called out the Pharisees on this, their self-conscious goodness, their, their self-righteousness, their super-spirituality. And Jesus says, you can't look at it with a look-at-me-I-did-it spirit, the sense of superiority, hardness, lack of sympathy, qualities that sometimes mark religious people. Keep us also from receiving the kingdom of God. And that's why this narrative of Jesus taking a child in his arms and saying, first of all, don't hinder their faith, and also have faith just like theirs is so beautiful and touching. It rebukes our pride or self-righteousness. It means that we have to have thoughts 
and receptance and openness to Jesus and to his spirit. It's also important to, to mark the child spirit, which is a mark of the kingdom. You know, I think about like, if, you, if you've been a parent and you've ever chased your children, often they're so impulsive. <laughs> you know, my last child up here that you've seen, he's the most impulsive of them all, and, and he was our kid that like just went on walks by himself when he was two and three years old and scared the daylights out of us. He would just, he'd think and he would just do. And, and I think also that our faith has to be that that responsive to Jesus where we don't think we don't think so hard and deep about following Jesus first. We do it. We go in wholeheartedly just like children do when they see something really good and wonderful. So in the upside down kingdom of God, Jesus did something so startling when he said your your faith needs to be like the faith of a child. Be that open, that receptive, that ready to follow him, which was totally an upside down 180. I thought about the next slide. What posture and attitude do you imagine this looks like or is for you for your faith? You know, I think about so often um, our posture of this just reflects of being closed, close to God and close to what he's doing in our life. Um, So I want you to just think about the, the posture of your heart and your outward posture to God and how can we take some self-examination to, am I really open and receptive to letting him in just like a child would? Um, and am I open to reconsidering some hardness of heart that I might have or some rigidity in allowing him to be fully Lord and Savior of my life? I was gonna ask you this question, what pushes against Jesus' way in our lives? And I think this comes to that question of, the disciples and they're, they're um, arguing about who was important, who was gonna be best. A couple things that we, that we don't really think about because we live in this century, we're, we're reading this Bible, we have the full story, you know, like this old guy Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story, we have the rest of the story. Jesus' followers in this time, I feel like we can be really hard on them, but they were thinking that Jesus was gonna be a Messiah and he was gonna come and like nuke the Romans, and all these things were gonna happen, and so they're, they're posturing, they're getting ready to be like, I'm gonna be a Jesus left and right, and then you get to be on the other left, you get to be on the right. We are gonna be kings, we are gonna be, we'll maybe be like, they maybe thought they'll be like Roman rulers, or we're gonna be in the you know, big fancy colon, you know, those houses that they were in, and this is where Jesus is saying, no, I'm gonna die, and it's gonna be a terrible death. And the Son of Man is going to give up his life. And they're probably like, who, first of all, who is he talking about? Why is he talking about death again? And then I think they were afraid to ask. It says they were afraid in this passage. So we think about what pushes against Jesus' way. Fear can be one. It can be our pride. You know, when we, we think about how our pride gets in the way and that old adage, pride goeth before a fall, it really does. So our pride often gets in the way of Jesus' lordship and le- Jesus' leadership in our lives. Our feelings of wanting to be important. I have to say I'm not proud of that feeling, but I know that feeling. I know that feeling of wanting to matter or wanting to, to be known or to be um, singled out in good ways. Our desire for power is one. Um, these are all things like I'm not proud to say out loud and <laughs> probably none of us in this room would be. But you think about Jesus' way of leadership and Jesus' way of doing things is not pride. It's not of wanting to be the most important. It's not for power. It's something completely different. And so when we think about what Jesus' way really is, it's completely a 180 from that one. 
And it's this phrase that uh, one of my teacher friends, next slide, is he called it power under versus power over. And he'd always use this thing. He'd say, um, it's, it's power under somebody, not power over them. And that's, I think, why the disciples were so confused. And I think us, too, sometimes we can be really confused about how Jesus does things. Jesus did not fit the expectation of who the Messiah was going to be. Again, they thought that he was going to essentially nuke the Romans and this, the Jewish nation would have this glory day again. And Jesus said, nope, the power under is going to be my conquering sin, death, and the devil. And that's the power over. But the power under was going to be, and you lead and you love like I do, which is through humility, through self-sacrifice, through um, a servant heart. It's to say that um, we're, we're, we're going after people in a way of love that is under and not over them. And that, again, is so countercultural. So we come to Jesus' way of teaching on leadership. And that is, um, I think that's like some of those hardest things that Jesus talks about. He talks about um, how he, in, uh, if you're looking at chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 in your Bibles, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were in 1035. They come to Jesus, and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And I just imagine Jesus kind of laughing inside at this question because I feel like my kids do this to me. Like, Andrew's new thing is a PS5. Mom, if I, say, if I ask you a question, will you say yes? Sure. <laughs> and, I, and so Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? He replied, Let us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they say yes, but they don't have the full understanding of what that's going to be. And Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom they've been prepared. And when the other disciples heard about this thing, they were pretty ticked off at James and John, I'm sure, because they're like, why is it you two and not the rest of us? And Jesus calls them all together and gives them an important talk. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Remember how Jesus goes back to that power over example. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus is not so among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave for all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus is getting ready for the, the cross, and, um, and he's giving his disciples some really important words of wisdom. And you think about Jesus' teaching on leadership, first of all, his approach to leadership was with a completely different mindset. His approach to leadership was with kingdom values, and his approach to leadership was through the perspective of the cross. And I would say that's even hard for us to think about now. You think about um, that voluntary servant mindset. He says uh, the people who are going to be motivated by love. Um, in Christian leadership, which we call it servant leadership, it's we look for the growth of people so they flourish and they achieve their full potential. That's what Jesus was about. This comes from Robert, Robert Greenleaf. He, in 1970, proposed this idea, and his, um, his foundation for this was in John 13, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet with a towel, and he called it the king who led with a towel and who assumed the role of a house servant. We think about Jesus is motivated by love. 
Jesus was aware of his position as a leader, but he became a servant voluntarily, and that's for us too. We all have areas in our life where we are leaders. We're leaders in our homes, in our families, probably in our workplaces or in other areas of our lives. And we think about if we're motivated by love, we look like him. If we are aware of our positioning as leaders and we don't take advantage of that, we lead like him. We become servants voluntarily. And we think about Jesus did not come to primarily be a foot washer, but he showed he was ready to serve when he was needed. So us, the same thing. We may not come, you know, in a certain um, expectation of what we're going to do, but we show up in our roles and we, and we do them willingly because we're needed. He set an example for us to follow. He did it with humility and love. He didn't force himself. He wasn't power over. He was power under. So Jesus' way shows us to be a voluntary servant. He shows us as a leader, we use the power entrusted us to serve others. We are servants who out of love serve others ahead of our own. And we're teachers who teach followers in word and deed how to become servant leaders themselves. That's how Jesus did things. You think of the time that he spent with his disciples and, and the investment he made in them. And they perpetuated that on. And, and that's the really beautiful thing about where we find ourselves today is we have this example in front of us. And Jesus changes our lives, so he changes how we want to be ourselves. I'm just going to ask you as we conclude today, just to think about the areas where you currently have leadership in your lives. Like I said, it could be in your families, in your work, in your community. So this slide, um, think about this. How can I reconsider the current ways I lead? You know, it's funny, we were, I was thinking about the um, Charlie Brown comics that Lucy is always the bossy one in the comics, you know, and sometimes we find ourselves where we realize as we let God in that there's qualities about our leadership that we may not like or we may, may not be proud of. And so this is one of those ways where you can reconsider the current ways of how do I lead? Do I lead like a Lucy? Or do I lead in a, in a way that is um, maybe different and, and less bossy? <laughs> or do we lead with confidence or do we lead with a lack of confidence? I think that's also important. If, if God has given you areas of leadership, do you, do you lead with a lack of confidence because you're leading out of your own strengths? Or can you say, maybe I can lead out of the strengths that God has given me and look to him more? The next one is, what strengths has God Yep, next one, Dylan. What strengths has God given me to lead? Think about like your gifting and the, and the things that you possess. Um, there's a lot of different leadership assessments out there. Um, if you just look and you want to do a Google on free leadership assessments or free Christian leadership assessments, there's all kinds of different things that you can do just to help you understand who you are as a leader. How can you approach the people in areas that you are leading with Jesus' mindset and Jesus' value? Keep thinking about that term power over versus power under this week and moving on. How can I be somebody that gets under people and encourages them and not lead over them? And this last one, what ways is God calling me to change my style slash value system about leading? You know, I think a lot of times our leadership comes from examples in our lives. And the beautiful thing is when we look at how Jesus says, you know, in Mark 10, he says, no, you know how the Gentiles lord over people. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave for all. You know, just keep thinking of that where Jesus catches us and he says, oh no, not that way among you. Do it like I do it. Keep your eyes on me and watch what happens. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much for giving us different ways to think and um, to look at things. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us to have um, faith that is simple and trusting and dependent and receptive like children. Thank you that you also um, valued and esteemed children. Help us to do that. Help us, Lord, to lead in ways that honor others and are out of our strengths. Help us, Lord, to lead like you do out of a servant's heart and a desire to lead others out of love. God, I pray that whatever work you're doing in each of our lives, Lord, that we will give you full access and full permission to be like you and to follow you. Thank you for everyone here, and we praise and love you, Jesus. Amen.